episode number 39. Welcome to the Higher Life Podcast. Lessons from authentic Judaism. Get the inspiration you need for personal growth. Hosted by Rabbi Mitterhoff. Shalom, this is Rabbi Eliyahu Mitterhoff with this week's Higher Life Podcast. In this week's podcast, we have the Torah portion of the week, Vayechi, How to Achieve the Impossible, the relationship between responsibility and creativity, a powerful parable about forced gift, a great story about the Chafetz Chaim and peace in your home, dealing with mother-in-laws. So in this week's Parsha, Yaakov asked Yosef to swear to him to take his bones out of Mitzrayim. The verse says like this, Please, if I have found favor in your eyes, please place your hand under my thigh and do kindness and truth with me. Please do not bury me in Egypt, for I will lie down with my fathers, and you shall transport me out of Egypt and bury me in their tomb. That's what Yaakov said, and Yosef answered back, I will do as you have said. So Yaakov said back to him, Swear to me, and he swore to him. Then Yisrael prostrated himself towards the head of the bed. So the Ramban says on this, Yaakov was not suspicious of his righteous son, who was beloved to him. He didn't think he was going to rebel against him. Rather, he made him swear in order to strengthen the matter in the eyes of Paro. Because he was afraid that Paro was not going to give Yosef permission to leave Egypt. But if there was an oath, he would. So the Ramban says at the end, and also, Yosef will be more obligated to exert himself in the matter because of the oath. In other words, because Yosef had a shavua, he would exert himself more. So Rav Hanech Leibowitz, Zechon of the Bracha, Rosh Hashiva, the Chavetz Chaim in New York, has a question on this. Yes, is it possible that if Yosef didn't take the shavua, he wouldn't try his best? Of course he would do everything. First of all, we see that Yosef would always listen to his father. The Ramban brings down that when Yosef was asked by his father Yaakov to go find his brothers who were shepherding, he went, even though he knew he was in danger. He didn't say, how can I go when they hate me? He strengthened himself and he went. In the end, he got himself in trouble, and that's how he wanted to be with Ryan. But he listened to his father. So all the more so here when his father's commanding him to take him out of its rhyme on his deathbed, surely Yosef is going to listen. Why did he make him take a Shavuah, an oath? And why is the Ramban saying that because of the oath, he's going to try harder? Surely he's going to do everything within his power to listen to his father's last words. So if Leibowitz wants to answer that Yaakov was worried about onus. Onus means a circumstance which you can't control. Yosef could have got himself into a situation where he would have felt, I have no more strength. I can't do more. I'm doing my maximum. And therefore he would have given up. So Yaakov made him make a Shavuah which would give him kokos chadashot. New strengths. New possibilities. He says, It would arouse him even more. And he would give him extra new strength. That before he didn't have it. And really before it would be impossible. But with this new strength, it opened up more possibilities for him to be able to succeed. In other words, there's an equation here. The more responsibility a person has, the more strength and creativity he has to get it done. For example, if you have the boss and you have the workers, and there's a problem in the business, 
So the workers will work as hard as they can to solve the problem. But at a certain point, they'll give up. They won't find a solution. Who finds a solution? The boss. Why? Because the buck stops here. It's his responsibility. The person who has the responsibility will also have the creativity and the strength to solve the problem. And he wants to add another chiddush onto this. There's a midrash in Ruth that says like this. Am Rav Yitzchak bar menayim. Ba kasev lomdecha. Comes the Pasuk and teaches us. That if a person does a mitzvah, he should do it with a full heart. Why? Because if Ruvain, for example, would have known that it was written in the Torah, that Ruvain heard and he saved Yosef from death. That's what the Pasuk says. He saved him from their hands. He said not to kill them. He told them to put them in the boar. If he would have known that it would be written in the Torah, he would have carried him out on his shoulders and brought him to his father. That's one case. Another case is that if Aaron Cohen would have known that when he was going to meet his brother Moshe, after he was appointed to be the leader of Yisrael, so he would have came with drums and instruments to meet him. He came with tremendous happiness, which is a tremendous mile, even though he was the older brother. His younger brother was appointed. But if he would have known that it was written, he would have came with drums and trumpets. And the third case is, if Boaz would have known that when he fed Ruth, it was going to be written down, so he would have fed her fattened calves. So you could learn this Midrash, that in each of these cases, there was something lacking in their acts. They didn't do it with a full heart. We don't see anywhere in the Torah that there was any kind of teveya, any kind of claim against them. It's just the opposite. In these cases, usually he speaks about the milas, was what the great things they did. But this is talking about an extra level. Really, they did everything shlemis, incompleteness, but it was according to their level. The Midrash is saying the opposite. If they were on a higher level, they would have done it better. So what do we learn from this? That if a person gives the cheshivas, the value to the mitzvahs, for what they really are, he can go level and level, higher and higher. The more he values the mitzvah, the better he's going to do it the more creativity and strength he's going to have to be able to do that mitzvah. And he's going to get super strength to be able to do it. But it's all a question of the value system. As soon as you raise the values, you raise your strength and your creativity. It's an amazing chidush, an amazing idea. I'll give you an example. Two people taste a glass of wine. One is a wine expert, and the other guy is a regular guy. Now, the regular guy doesn't taste what the wine expert tastes. Yes, the regular guy is a good wine. Yeah, it tastes good. It's fine. Yes, the wine expert, he'll be able to tell you all the details. He knows what is good wine. He appreciates it. He understands it. He values it. For him, it's a whole different glass of wine. And the other guy who's not sensitive to it at all, he's just missing the boat. He doesn't understand what's the big deal with this wine. Or another example. In the manufacturing of computer chips, you have this thing called a clean room. What's a clean room? They can measure how many specks of dust there are in the air. There has to be less than 15 million specks of dust in the air. If they can get it down to the level where they keep vacuuming out the air, that's called a clean room. Why? Because if one speck of dust goes onto the chip, it can ruin the chip. So the one who knows what a clean room is, he understands what is a clean room. The other guy says, what's the problem? It looks clean here to me. Let's make the chips right here. Open up the boxes. We'll make the chips. What's the problem? Because he's not sensitive to every drop of dust in the air, but the other guy is. 
So the guy who really manufactures computer chips, his definition of clean is a whole different madrega. Because he understands the problem. So he'll find the strength to be able to solve it. But the other guy is not unaware of it. What's the difference? Clean, not clean. What's the problem? It's clean enough. We'll clean off the table. Everything's fine. So the same thing by mitzvahs and our service to God. If we value it, we will find a whole new way to reach new, new levels. If we understand that this is a commandment of the master of the universe, the one spinning the earth, the creator of all the galaxies, if we give it that value, we'll be doing it on a much greater level because our value systems will open up our minds. Rev. Leibowitz says we learn two things from this piece. First of all, we're forced to say that there's no end to the arousal and excitement that a person can get from doing mitzvahs. There's no end. It goes on and on and on. Like we saw from the examples of Reuven, Aaron, and Boaz. They did it according to the Shlemus. But they could have done more. Why? Because there's no end. The value is infinite. We're talking about God's mitzvahs. That's the first thing. And the second thing is that on our side, if we have that value system, there is no end to the creativity that we'll come up with to the strength that we could produce. So that goes hand in hand. And just like Yaakov knew that if he would make Yosef take a Shavua, it would give him unbelievable strength and creativity, so too Hashem knows that by giving us the commandments, we too can come up with unbelievable strength and creativity if we value the commandments. So Hashem should bless us that we get the right value system in order that we can serve God with completeness, with shlemus, and go from level to level. Here is a powerful parable. Open your mind and help you reach your potential. Magid Madubna brings the same pasuk and he says, Deal kindly and truthful with me. Please do not bury me in Egypt. So yes, why both kindly and truthful? Why? Is there such a thing as kind and a lie? So he says this could be explained by the passage that says, Give truth to Yaakov and chesed to Avraham. Kindness to Avraham. Why does truth go to Yaakov and chesed, kindness, go to Avraham? So he has a marshal. One time there was a wealthy man who wanted to give a thousand gold coins away to a certain poor person in the city. However, he knew his wife was going to get upset. She's going to object. So what he did, he wrote a star, a document that obligated him to give the thousand coins to the man. And then he had two witnesses sign it. Then he gave it to the man. So the man said, this way, my wife can't object. The man's going to take the star to the base. Then the base tin's going to come along and take the money away from me. So my wife won't be able to object. That was the mushal. What's the nimshal? He says, this is called chesed and emes, kindness and truth. First, the star is a chesed. He wanted to give the thousand coins to the man as a kindness. So what did he do? He promised them. He obligated himself. He wrote a document. Now he's obligated to give the thousand coins to the man. That's emis. That's truth. So too with the Jewish people. Give truth to Yaakov and chesed to Avraham. First God did chesed with Avraham and he promised that the Jewish people would get Eretz Yisrael. Then later, since he promised Avraham as a chesed, but he promised, so it became a debt. So, Emes Yaakov, truth to Yaakov. 
So the fact that it's going to be fulfilled in the end of the days that we're going to get to Israel, that's truth. So too Yosef said to Yaakov, Deal kindly and truthful with me. Deal kindly with me. Please take my bones out of Egypt and deal truthfully with me by taking a shavuah, by taking an oath. So it was both kindness and truth. It's time for Great Stories About Great Rabbis. So at the end of the parsha, after Yaakov died, Yosef said to the brothers, Fear not, for I am instead of God. Although you attended me harm, God attended it for good. He was trying to comfort them. And he said, I will give out food for you and your young ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke to their heart. There's a story about the Chavit Chaim who comforted someone on Yom Kippur, on the evening of Yom Kippur. One time in the yeshiva, there was an older man named Hershel Kamenetzer. He never got married because he had a lung disease. And it was Yom Kippur night. So after everybody left the Beit Knesset, he sat there by himself, lost in his thoughts. The Chafetz Chaim, who was the Rosh Yeshiva, came and sat next to him and began talking to him. The Chafetz Chaim told him how he lost his father when he was 10 years old. He exiles himself to a place of Torah. He had a lot of trials and tribulations. He lived in poverty. The Maskilim, the Enlightenment movement, tried to pull him away from his orthodoxy. He told him how he agreed to marry his stepsister, this is the Chavetz Chaim speaking, who was older than him, he married his stepsister, only to keep the peace between his mother and his stepfather. Why, his friend found a wonderful wife with a $10,000 dowry. So he told him, but you know what? In the end, that guy lost all of his money, and my wife helped me to stay in learning. I became Rosh Hashiva. So the Chavetz Chaim said to him, what appears at a time to be a problem can sprout salvation. By Hashem, our man's footsteps establish. He was comforting this man who was already a little bit old and not married, and not, he was not going to get married. So he said, this was the night of Yom Kippur. He spoke these things all night. Nothing was said about spiritual counting and nothing about the awe of the Day of Judgment. He just spoke words of consolation and strength. So even though it was Yom Kippur evening, a time for tshuva, the Chafetz Chaim sat and comforted him. Learn to give, love, and communicate. This is Peace in Your Home. Rav Nachman Diamond speaks about mother-in-laws. He said in his generation there was no concept of mother-in-laws because everybody was Holocaust survivors. There were no mother-in-laws. He says, you should know, the problem with mother-in-laws all depend how the daughter-in-law reacts. Because the mother-in-law feels bad. She raised her son for over 20 years. Now this girl comes along and takes him away. It bothers me. It hurts me. She's taking him from me. And sometimes the mother-in-law can see her real changes. She spent her whole life trying to teach his kids manners. And the wife says, listen, if you want to eat with civil, we're good, good. If not, not. You can eat with your hands by me. I know it doesn't bother me. It drives the mother-in-law crazy. And what really lies behind it is this unspoken competition as to who's going to get the love of this son and husband. Well, sometimes Darrell can get jealous. She, he's very close with his mother. He jokes around with her. He whispers to her. And the daughter-in-law is thinking, well, why doesn't he whisper to me? But he said, all this way of thinking is wrong. To say, who do you love more, me or your mother, is irrelevant. They're two different types of love. Same thing like when a woman has a baby. Who do you love more, your son or me? They're two different loves. Even though one might feel neglected, but that will pass. It's like somebody has a brother who's sick, so the parents have to deal with him more. They mean to love the brother more. No, at this point in time, they have to deal with the brother because he's sick. Usually, these problems start at the beginning of the relationship, at the beginning of the marriage. But after time, they'll pass. So he says, the daughter-in-law must accept the in-laws the way they are. He's not going to change his in-laws. 
She has to say to herself, this woman is my husband's mother. And even though it's hard for me, I'm just going to have to deal with it. To insult his mother is simply wrong, unfair, and cruel, even if the situation is very difficult. Because a God-fearing person doesn't look for the easy way out. She understands the challenge. She has a difficult mother-in-law, but she's going to just have to keep her mouth shut. He tells a story. There was once a couple, one time, the mother-in-law and the daughter-in-law didn't get along so much and almost broke up before the Shidduch. So he said to the girl, he happened to be at the chupa. He said to the girl, listen, I tell you a way to fix up the relationship. I know this mother-in-law of yours doesn't get along with any of her daughter-in-laws. But if you go up to her right now and say to her, Ima, let's dance, I guarantee it will change the relationship. She says, what are you kidding me? She didn't even give me a, a, a kiss after the chupa. I'm going to call her Ima? She's not my Ima. But anyway, she listened. And the mother-in-law was so happy, she danced the whole wedding with her daughter-in-law. And to this day, that's the only daughter-in-law she gets along with. I just say, yeah, but why should she call her Ima? It's not really her mother. He said, you don't have to be right. You have to be wise. It's just the mentality. Another story is, there was this mother-in-law used to drive the daughter-in-law crazy, and she was petrified every time she was supposed to come to the house. Because when she'd come to the house, she would take a look at everything and complain about everything. So she would always do these massive cleanups that would drive her crazy. One time she said, that's it. I am not cleaning up my house anymore for my mother-in-law. This is the way my house is. Take it or leave it. So the mother-in-law came in, starts saying, what about this? What about that? She's like, mm-hmm. She's listening to her. He's saying, yes, yes. This went on like 20 or 30 times. Until now, the mother-in-law doesn't say a thing. The daughter-in-law said, that's the way my house is. It's clean. It's just not the cleanest. But the mother-in-law has been quiet ever since. Another story was where the husband didn't get along with the brother or the wife. So one time, the brother or the wife popped in unexpectedly. And 10 minutes later, the husband came home. So the husband went straight into the kitchen and didn't come out. After 45 minutes, the brother left. He comes to the wife. Why did you tell him to leave? Don't you see I'm stuck in the kitchen? So he says, why can't this girl tell her brother to leave? That's her brother. You have to be mature about it. She found herself in a situation where the brother popped in. She couldn't just tell him to leave, kick him out. Also, he says, you can't expect the son to tell off his mother. It's true that the mother-in-law may not be having herself properly. But don't expect her son to tell her off. How's your husband supposed to confront his mother? And never say, you're just like your mother or you're just like your father. There's nothing you can do about it. Always leave the parents out of it. Okay, that's it for this week's podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. Please share it with your friends and leave comments. Thank you for listening. Your voicemail could be featured on the Higher Life Podcast. Just visit RabbiMinterhoff.com to ask questions or leave comments. 